Okay, welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. Let's uh, begin in a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening bringing us together. We thank you for those that are here, those that are on their way, those that couldn't make it, or those that are home recuperating or uh, working, whatever it might be. Lord, we just thank you that uh, you're with us. And for those that are uh, listening to this via podcast recorded, we just thank you by your spirit that you impart uh, not only the knowledge, but the understanding and the application of Ezekiel, and especially Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38, where we are tonight. So, Father, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to try and do 37 and 38 tonight, and then next week we can close out Ezekiel. But remember, Ezekiel visions. It isn't actually happening, it's visions. And so if you don't realize it's a vision, you think, well, wait a minute, this this isn't making sense. But he's trying to explain something to him in a series of visions. And then he has him do something even in the uh, in the visions. So that's, I think, is the key to Ezekiel. If you understand that God's giving him visions, then you kind of understand, okay, th- that makes a little bit more sense than if it was a narrative story. You know, I did this and I did that. It would it would be more straightforward. But this is a lot of visions. So tonight we're going to deal with it with the vision of the about the dry bones, which begins in. Am I down front to see any anyone's free? I almost left. <laughs> yeah, and uh, maybe you can give him a copy of the thing. And uh, so. Ezekiel 37 is a, is a vision of the dry bones, but then also it explains it. You know, it explains what he's saying, how he's saying it, why he's saying it. So, um, again, the, the over, the backdrop of all of this is that Ezekiel is going to the people that are in uh, Babylonian exile He's telling them, this is why you're in exile. Because you didn't do uh, what you said you were going to do. You didn't obey God. You're here. And then now the section that we're in, he's talking about, but I am going to restore you. And so these are visions of how God is going to restore them. Okay? So Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 to 10. He says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. Now, that just means that God was going to speak to him. God was going to do something. It could be a dream. It could be a vision. It could be he was actually doing something. So whenever you say, when you read, the hand of the Lord was upon me, that's the Holy Spirit is is now uh, uh, directing the activity here. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit. We're not seen out by the Spirit, not naturally, by the Spirit of the Lord, and sent me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. So right there, when we start to read that, we're kind of like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, what do you mean bones? Okay, so, then it goes on. And he caused me to pass among them around about, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. 
And again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. And I will put skinu on you, and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. This is in the vision, right? I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, skinu were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So we'll hold it right there. So we have dry bones. He says, he asks him a question. Can these bones live? And his reply was basically, well, God only you know. Because, you know, he knows he, it's in a vision. So, in a vision, there's a representation here. What do these dry bones represent? Israel, it's the people. Notice he says, and these bones have been dry a very long time. So, you know, you know, he's been sending his prophets to them for 350, almost 400 years, telling them to get it right, get it right, you're going to be off the land. And so eventually, you know, they came, they came off the land. And, uh, that's not good. So anyway, uh, so they came off the land, and uh, and so he's saying, "Can I bring them back to life?" In other words, can I bring this nation back to life? Because they left, the temple's been ransacked, and in in a couple chapters next week, we're gonna we're gonna get to the temple because he talks about the temple being rebuilt. And so he's saying to him, can I do this? You know, because he's saying to, to him, he says, you're the, pro- you're the prophet. Sorry. You're the ooga, ooga. I'm under the car. That's, I'm he's, the he's, 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 okay. he's saying to them, he says, you know, can you believe that I can do this because you're the one that's going to have to tell them I can do this. So in other words, if you don't believe I can do it, you know, again, you know, we walk by faith, not by sight. So he said, do you believe I can do it? So again, it's in a vision. Do you believe I can do it? You know? And then he says, speak to these. And they came to life. The bones came back, but notice there was no spirit in them. Okay? And so, you know, that's, a, that's another part of this. And, and so as Ezekiel speaks... To those bones, they come to life. So what happens here is God is working with Ezekiel, telling them this is what you're going to do. 
Because this passage, in the passages before it, it's about the restoration of Israel. It's about them coming back to the land. And so in other words, he's saying, can I, do you believe I can take these people who, who didn't follow me, didn't obey me, didn't do what I asked them to do, and, and judgment came upon them, but do you believe I can fulfill my covenant with them by bringing them back? And then he says, speak to them and say thus to them. So in the vision, Ezekiel now lines up with what God has said, and now he sees the action. Okay? He's lining up with what God has said, and now he sees these bones come to life. We're going to get in a second to the vision explained. But any thoughts or questions or concerns about this part so far? You know, it's, a, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for, uh, um, uh, you know, um, people being off the land, people not following God. And Ezekiel, I think we talked about it before. Some of it is poetry. Some of it is what they call prose. Prose is kind of, it's not poetry per se, but it's written in a form of a little bit higher than your standard English or Hebrew, whatever it is. Not necessarily rhyming, but it's a little bit higher level of, of, of writing. And so it's it's a very articulate uh, uh, piece of work because it's all about visions, you know, and, 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 and what God has done and what God is doing and then how God is going to restore the people. But in, you know, 47 chapters, it's, it's very, um, a lot of imagery, a lot of... Uh, um, uh, a lot of visions, a lot of things that make you kind of kind of just stop and look at it. And again, it's it's not necessarily a parable, but it's the idea of someone trying to explain the presence and the power of God with very limited amount of of understanding of who God is, and very few references, because these people back then they didn't have all the things that we have. If this happened to one of us today, well, then the way we would say it would be a lot different. We would use cars, we would use airplanes, we would use missiles, or we would use some reference like that, or some kind of thing that, you know, historically would make sense. Ezekiel is limited by his historical period. So he can't go, in his language, past what he knows, but the vision and things he says our future tense. So he's going past where he is, but his language is limited to what he can express, and it's limited to what the first readers would know and understand, because it has to resonate with the first readers, not just us. Right? Pastor, yeah. I may be way off on this, but when you said, when he says in the spirit of the Lord, can, can that also mean that we were saying last week in the shadow the Lord, when you were saying, giving that analogy of the, of the of the shadow when you see things. Usually, usually when it talks about shadow, it refers to protection. It refers to yeah, it's the same thing. Idea of the Holy Spirit, but the shadow imagery has more of the idea of under His wings, under His His protection. But the idea that God is protecting, God is directing. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a little bit different ways of of saying it, but it is God interacting 
I just popped up when you yeah. when we read that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's you see these these kind of things. It's it's called literary criticism. You look at the pages. You look at who it was written by, when it was written, how it was said, what was going on, and so when it says you know you know we will you know abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Okay. Well, you know that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's protection. But that also means that as we minister, as we go forth, we're under the shadow of the protection of the Almighty, right? And so in here, it's more of a calling out. I'm taking him uh, from, from his normal everyday life. I'm taking him in a vision to a place that he does not know. And I'm going to show him things he's never seen before. And then I'm going to explain it. But you see, if we just stop reading right here... We're just pretty much scratching our head because where's this going and how is it how is it going to fit in? Because he's going to say some stuff in, in a little bit that if you just read that it would be even more confusing. But if when you put it all together, it's like oh okay, I get it now. Now, so here's a vision explained eleven to fourteen. Then he said to me, "Son of man, these bones." Now here's he's explaining it. Are the whole house of Israel. So, right there, now we know it's a metaphor, right? We know it's not actual living people that God's going to do this thing, and Israel's made up now of people that were once dry bones and now they came to life and resurrected. That's not what we're talking about here. He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, this is key, they say, who says? the house of Israel. And where is the house of Israel? Scattered. Scattered. And they're in Babylon. They're in captivity. They're not on the land. So in other words, this is how they are seeing themselves in the situation that they are in. Right? I'll read it again. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Almost kind of like the idea, as you break this down in Hebrew, of past, present, and future. Okay, uh, the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, "Our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off." So the nation, the people, what he's saying is, you're going to go be, you're going to prophesy to people who are hopeless. But what's the message? God's going to restore you. You know, he's going to tell them you're here because of your disobedience, because of your sin. But those of you that make it through the 70-year uh, thing, and this is generally the children, it's like the wandering in the desert for 40 years. It wasn't the older folks that made it to the promised land. It was the children who made it to the promised land. And so he says, you know, you, you're going to say to people that are hopeless, it's like, you know, once you have, you know, you had a fortune, and then all of a sudden you totally lost it, and now you have nothing. Now you're hopeless. You have no resources. You have nothing. See, Israel was supposed to be a a, a theological government. God ruled. God centered. It was supposed to follow God. It was supposed to be a shining example uh, for the nations around them, so that they would see God work. And they obviously didn't live up to that. But again, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So, you know, we, we can't say, well, those people messed up because all of us have messed up and all of us would mess up. 
And so these people are now hopeless. They're, they're feeling like, uh, uh, we're off the land, now what? What can we do? We, we have no income. We have no nothing. We are here serving another, another king. We are hopeless. We're completely cut off. The end of verse 11. Now verse 12. Therefore prophesy, say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Again, metaphor. You know, you thought you were dead in your tracks. You thought you were just going to be dust. You were just dry bones that weren't any good. He says, I'm going to raise you back up and I'm going to bring you back to Israel. You see, one of the things here is that, like I think we ended last week when we were talking about um, God's covenant relationship and we were talking about Abraham and Isaac. We were talking about how could Abraham lay his son down on an altar and then go to slay him. You know, it's, it's a gruesome picture of something. Go take your son and sacrifice him. And he takes his son there and he gets ready to raise that thing and you're reading that and you're saying, what the heck is going on here? You know, if not anything worse. But what you have to realize is the theological understanding of Abraham at that point. He knows now through his journey with God, his 25 plus year journey with God, that God not only is a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. And all the blessings that God has said go through Isaac. So he knows that even if something should happen, God would restore his life because the blessings flow through Isaac. You know, it's a it's a hard way of, of trying to get that point across. But, you know, today it doesn't fit our standards of how we would do things. This is obviously very barbaric, you know, when, when you look at it. But the, but the theological point here is Abraham knew his son was not going to perish. Right. And so here, it's that what God has to say to these people is you have to remember, not only did you not remember to do what I asked you to do, what I commanded you to do, you also forgot that we have a covenant relationship and you as a people are tied to the land. That's why today, even in Israel, all the things that are going on, they're tied to the land. Somebody remind me to show you a picture on my phone. Um... And I came across today. Um, uh, you know, their, their, their identity is tied to the land. So when they're off the land, they're hopeless. They have no, no recourse. They have, they have nothing. But he says, I'm going to bring you back. Not because of you, but because of his name, who he is. Because this is what he said. Because he said, I will give it to you and your generations as, a, as an everlasting you know, covenant. So 12 again, therefore prophesy, say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves, cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Then I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. There's no time frame on this. It begins to trickle back in, you know, not long after, you know, Ezekiel is written here. Uh, in you know, it, biblically, it's during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they come back to the land. But 
they are also, during the time of Christ in 70 AD, they're kicked off the land again. And then they're not back on the land until 1948 as a nation. You know, they trickled back in in the 1800s, but it wasn't until 1948. They didn't get Jerusalem until 1967. And then now you see all the things that are going going on here. So what's going on here is, is it talking about just that return there? Or is it talking about something future? We have to keep reading to find out what he's talking about. Part of it is present tense. Part of it is going to be future tense. So they say in exile they are hopeless. And see, God will bring them back, raise them up, put his spirit in them. This is covenant renewal. This is God saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I haven't thrown away and done away with covenant, you know. And in, in, uh, maybe at some point we'll do a, a few weeks Bible study on the, on the covenant. You know, because there's not just one covenant. There's several covenants, but it's one block of work. You know, the new doesn't do away with the old because all the blessings and all the stuff <laughs> people would call the old covenant. You know, the new covenant is just pointing towards uh, Christ and I will put my spirit in them and they will be my people. Kind of thing like that. Question. Yes. Uh, did that passage give the Sadducees a problem since they didn't believe in the resurrection? Uh, Sadducees, yeah. Um, most likely, yeah, because Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. Pharisees did to a certain extent. But like any people sometimes when you come across something and it's not necessarily speaking per se of resurrection of bodily form this is more in spiritual form people are going to come back and be a nation again return to what their fathers had so the idea of you know bringing it back we're just going to restore everything the way it was and so uh i the 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 sadducees would read this and see no Nothing that has to do with resurrection at all. It is a metaphor. Yes, the total metaphor where where a Pharisee could say, yes, this is possible and God could do that. And they could, again, interpretation. You're talking about what was their interpretation then? The, the, uh, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees weren't until three, four hundred years later. And so, you know, how were they seeing things? You know, and then you take our interpretation now, how we see things two thousand years from Christ. See, we have a better chance of getting it right because we've got more history. We've got more. We see things happening. You know, it's like you know during World War Two, they thought they thought Hitler was the Antichrist. Well, he fits some of the motif, but the problem was Israel wasn't a nation, the temple wasn't built, so he couldn't be the Antichrist because Scripture says the Antichrist is going to go into the temple. Declare himself, you know, so that didn't happen. So, little things like that. Any other questions on that? We're going to get to some more stuff here. Now, it gets this is not a pun, but it gets a little sticky. You'll see what I'm saying right here. <laughs> Verse 15. Verse 15. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, You son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it. For Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions, they will take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, 
and all the house of Israel his companions. Then join them for yourself, one to another, into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, stick and also metaphor branch, stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. And say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone. Now notice, from the nations, now here, because they went to one nation, they went to Babylon, the northern kingdom went off to Assyria, but later on they're going to be scattered throughout all of Europe and and everywhere else, Asia and, and Africa. Of 21, say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I will take the sons of Israel, which means the children of, and from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation and one land on the mountain of Israel, and one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations, and they will no longer be divided into two kingdoms. And they will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things, nor will any of their transgressions, which I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, I will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. And my servant David, remember we talked about this last week, and my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them, and they shall live on the land that I gave to Jacob my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary, this is important, I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. Then my sanctuary, when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. What's with the sticks? Obviously we've got some visual learners out there in Ezekiel's time, because this is a visual of what God is doing. Right? You say take one stick, write on it, and then make another stick, but then you're going to put it together and it's going to become one stick. So, what is he doing? Reuniting Judah and uh, Israel. Israel, yes. Remember, we talked about whenever it refers to Judah, it's referring to the southern kingdom, which is basically Judah. Benjamin and uh, Simeon. When it refers to Israel, it's referring to the northern kingdom, which begins with uh, Ephraim. And it goes all the way up. 
And so that's the way biblically it's defined. And so remember that part of their problem was David was a strong king, Solomon was a strong king, and then after that there was divided kingdom. And that was part of the problem. And then Israel, the northern tribes got taken off to Assyria, and then now what we're talking about here is that the southern kingdom was finally 140 years later, they were taken off to captivity to Babylon. And so that's the time frame here. And so he says when we gather them back. But God's plan for them is what? Restoration. Restoration. Total, complete restoration. So when we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel coming together, we're talking about coming together as one nation Mm -hmm. together. Um, Time frame? Part of it is when they come back during the Babylonian captivity, very few, uh, I mean, not not all of those that were in Babylon came back. A lot of them stayed in Babylon. And so a remnant came back. And then the ones from that were taken captivity in Assyria, when they came back, they didn't assimilate. You know, they uh, 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 they didn't they didn't come back as as part of the uh, as part of the regular group. I'm trying to think of a Samaria. They came back and they lived in Samaria, and so with the woman at the well in Samaria, you know, they had put their own temple together. And Jesus and, Je- and Jesus says to her, "You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we do know, because they worshipped in Jerusalem, you know, house of God, in Samaria." Those in Samaria and Jews did not get along, but yet they were brothers. They were brothers and sisters. But it was just some came back from the northern with different ideas. This is after, you know, several hundred years, and then some came from the south after several hundred years. So they were different people. They, they had different ideology. And part of that is because, as we talked about last week or the week before, God was... You know, in the judgment that Ezekiel brings, he brings it on the teachers, right? Remember, on the shepherds, he says, "You know, you didn't teach them in their ways. You didn't, you didn't steer them right. You were not a shepherd to them. You did not, not, not uh, protect them." So he goes into all that language, you know, about all the, you know, the uh, leaders of Israel. They didn't do their job, but his, 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 uh, his, his goal for them is in his, his. Uh, his um, desire for them is to be one nation. And he says, you know, he's going to give them that covenant of peace. Well, who's the one that brings peace? Jesus. Okay. And it says they will stay on the land. So the back half of this really reads like when Jesus returns. It doesn't necessarily read like the things that have happened. Because it says, you will stay on the land. And then we talked last week when it says about David, will you be, will be your king, means what? Jesus. Because remember, he assumes the throne of David. And, and so uh, it's, it's referring to Christ. And, you, know, and, and you, you will have one king uh, you know, for, um, for, for, for all eternity. And you will, you, you know, once all things are settled, when Jesus returns, you know, that, that second coming, everything is settled, everything is done, the war is in, all that stuff, and there's going to be that, that peace, you know. So this is kind of predicting you're going to be coming back, 
but it's also talking future tense. There's a lot of reference here. It talks about a new sanctuary. We're going to get to it next week, but if you want to look at it between now and then, chapters 40 to 43 deal with the building of the new sanctuary. And um, uh, in Ezekiel's time, the sanctuary was still there. They didn't necessarily have to rebuild it. They just had to refurbish it. They had to, they had to uh, fix it up. Now, we live in an era where the sanctuary is not there. And when we did our, our survey of, of Revelation, you know, we talked about how you know, Scripture says that that temple will, that sanctuary will be rebuilt. And that's the sanctuary that the Antichrist goes into, declares himself to be God. And at that point, everything just gets crazy. You know, that, that leads to Armageddon and all that other stuff. Uh, and so, but that temple has to be uh, built. And like I've told you before, they, uh, right now that land is under guard by uh, Islamics, actually guard it. They will have priests, they will have those of the tribe of, of Levi down at the base of the Temple Mount uh, to make sure that Jews do not go up there because the only ones that were supposed to go up on the Temple Mount area were the Levites. So they, they, tell, they, they tell Jewish people to make sure you don't, only Levites are supposed to go up there. And so that sanctuary will be rebuilt. But if you want to Google... Temple Mount Society, you're going to see there's a group of priests. They, they've got everything ready. All they need is a building. They've got all the implements ready. They're training the priests. They have the red heifer, uh, which, is the, which is the particular strain of, 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 um, of a calf that has to be uh, slain first and the blood has to be sprinkled on the altar. They didn't have that for a long, long time. And then uh, back in the 90, 80s and 90s with a ranch in Texas, they got them to get that strain back to purity, and now they have a whole herd of red heifers over in uh, in Israel for that very purpose. So all those things are kind of lining up. When this happens, it could begin tomorrow. It could be 200 years from now or 400 years. So we don't know, but it's you know things are going in in that direction, which was talked about here, you know. So. Thoughts, questions for transition? Uh, uh, in 48, does that mean when, when Israel became a nation that all the tribes came together? No, because what happened when they became a nation, it was it was very small. It was just the southern part, and they didn't even have... Um, so that right now the tribes are still scattered? For the most part, you don't have people identifying Jewish uh, by by tribe anymore, per se. You might have those that might might say they're from a certain lineage or whatever, but they're they're you got to really track it back. This doesn't really show the twelve tribes of Israel, but it does show Israel. When they came um, back in, in in 48, all they had was this small section down here. They didn't even have Jerusalem. 
Let's see, all of this over here was actually the land that they had, which is present day uh, um, Jordan. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. So that's Jordan. And uh, so they have all this here. So they basically came back down here. And even in Christ's time, uh, they had this. They had this area up in here, uh, but they didn't necessarily have all this back. They, they, they didn't really operate as a 12, 12, 12 tribes. But the idea was that if you are uh, Jewish, you, you come back. Uh, but again, Jewish doesn't mean you... you, you uh, Jewish can mean two things. It can mean you are Jewish by faith, or it can mean you're Jewish by nationality. So you can be a Jew by nationality, and it doesn't mean you have any sense of the Bible. Other than the fact that you will say, well, I'm one of the chosen people, so everything's good. Well, you obviously haven't read your Bible because everything isn't good. <laughs> you know, there's some stuff you need to, you need to understand there first. And so, um, with all that, uh, yeah, your scripture is not real adamant that they come back as 12 tribes per se. But when Christ returns, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of uh, acknowledgement of that. Maybe this is going to be a bit of a color. I'll show you a couple of maps. Sometimes what happens is they lose the internet. That's that. Adrian wasn't able to be here tonight. She's my tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Alone. So, mm-hmm. Oh, no. Give me a hammer, I'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that'll probably expedite the replacement process yeah. more than fixing it. If not, I'll have it up next week. Anyway, stop in the middle. Okay. So there now there you go. There you go. Boom. Uh, surprised. You're not supposed to see this yet. Okay. It goes with this chapter, chapter 38. Let's go to chapter 38 before that goes off. (laughs) Chapter 38. Because now it gets a little goofy if you don't know what they're talking about here. Chapter 38. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face towards Gog. The land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, the prophecy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, because I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all of your army, horses, horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, great company with buckler and shield, of them welding swords, Persia, Ethiopia, put with them. All of them with shield and helmet, Gomer with all its troops, Beth Togarmah, 
from the remote parts of the north with all its troops, many peoples with you. Be prepared and prepare yourself and all the company and assemble them, you, and be on guard for for them. Uh, hold it right there. So, who do we have? Gog, Land of Magog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Ethiopia, Put, Gomer, Beth, Toga, Gamara. Now, y'all know where that's at, right? Right? Okay. Yes, Here's East LA, South Central. Yeah. Now, it's going to be talking about a war. It's going to be talking about these countries that are going to come and attack Israel. Israel's right here. There's Jerusalem. There's Gomer, which is basically Eastern Europe. This is the old name of that of that area, Gomer. It compromises uh, comprises uh, Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, Romania, parts of Germany, a little bit of Italy. So it's kind of that general graphic area. Baltics. Magog, Russia. Misha and Tuval, part of the lower part of Russia. And uh, Togomaro, which we talked about, which is up in Turkey, up in here. It talks about Kush and Kut. Uh, it doesn't have it on that map, but it talks about Ethiopia. Ethiopia is down here. It talks about uh, Put. Put is, is uh, Libya today. It's present-day Libya, which is like over here. Put's down here. And uh, so what it looks like is they were going to, a better picture is here. So basically you've got people from these lands here and here all going to converge on Israel like that. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. And so this is basically... Um, And I've turned to, I think I can bring it up. Hopefully, I remembered it. It's in Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 to 9. And this is talking about after Jesus' return, and there's a thousand years reign. Verse 7 says, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog may Gog, to gather them together for war and number them as like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp on the saints and the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So Revelation is just talking about this. So now we've got a picture of Armageddon and the last wars and all this other stuff. But it's just basically, and I just put this up here because if you just read that, you have no reference to anything. Tubal and Meshach and, and, and all that stuff. But when you put it in there on a map with their their, their, their present names, it, uh, uh, it says, okay, now I can see because who's the enemy even right now, of Israel. 
Yeah. They didn't even know back then that Islam would be so strong or even exist at and, that, and then at that again, point today. And then you, you, you can think, okay, why does Russia get involved in Israel's stuff? Why does Russia, you know, send, uh, arm the Arabs when they attacked in 67 and armed them in 72 and other times and secretly sends them stuff? Why do they, why do, they do that? And part of the reason is, when this was written, nobody, and it refers to it as the center of the earth, nobody knew all the oil that was here mm-hmm. and how central that was going to play. And the reason they don't like Israel, they want Israel gone, is that's the only open water, uh, warm water port, uh, man, not man-made port in that area in the Mediterranean Sea. All of Russia has got this frozen stuff. Their pipelines and stuff, they can come down in here and shoot out through there. The same thing with all these com- countries here. They use that as a, as a pipeline to ship their oil. That's just one reason. But besides the fact, you know, Satan and whatever else. But those are those just to kind of give you a visual of that. So let me read a little bit more and then I'll show you an, another thing. Then we'll take some questions. It says, verse 7, Be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled about you, and be on guard for them. After many days, you will be summoned. In the latter years, now what's the latter years? That's We're in the latter years, or maybe it's the latter years past us. But it's not to these people. It's in the latter years. It's, it's, you know, coming in the... After many days you will be summoned, in the latter years you will come into the land that is restored from the sword. So you're going to come back to a land, they're going to come back to the land of Israel, but there's not going to be any fighting. Because the language here is that they're, they're going to be living in peace. Are they living in peace now? Since 48 they haven't lived in peace. No. You know, it's always something. Uh, land is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which have been a continual waste, but its people were brought out from the nations, and they were living securely, all of them. Remember, when they were kicked off the land in 70 AD, until they began to come back, it was a wasteland. Nothing grew, nothing good, it was just dust. And they come back, and then things start to grow again. Now, all of a sudden, they want the land back. (laughs) Verse 9, And you will go up, you will come like a storm, and you will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil plan, and you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against those who are at rest, that live securely, all of them, living without walls and having no bars. In Revelation, what does it say about what the Antichrist will do when you're living in peace and securely? And when people say, peace, peace, then it says the evil one will come. Verse 12, To capture spoil, to seize plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited, against the people who are gathered from the nations, who have acquired cattle and goods, who live at the center of the world. Israel. Sheba and Dan. Okay, now this adds this on here. And the merchants of Tarshish. 
So now it adds Sheba and Dan, Queen of Sheba, uh, down to this area and down in here. Uh, Tarshish is right here, right above the present day Lebanon, right above Israel. So they join this too. That. So it's just like literally all of these things. And then you, today you've got Saudi Arabia who bankrolls a lot of this stuff and then pretends like, oh, I don't know what happened. Yeah. And so, um, let's see, where was I here? What I leave? Okay, verse 13. Sheba, Dan, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish with all their villages will say to you, Have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to capture great spoil? Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, I didn't say this, we're not sure, but Gog is the leader of this. And most scholars, when you read in commentaries, they believe this is just an, an, an old name, uh, and it's a reference to what we call the Antichrist. Because it says Gog, who lives, who, who comes out of out of Magog. Mm-hmm. Now, when it says it comes out of something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it comes out per se out of that country, but it could come out of a a a, a gathering of those company of those countries that are all working together. You know, mm-hmm. so they're all. Well, you almost say all, we all, said companies. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So. Uh, verse 14, Therefore prophesy, Son of Man, and say to God, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know of it? And you will come from your place out of the remote parts of the earth, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses. Uh, again, horses represent military. A common person did not ride horses. Horses are always military. A great assembly and a mighty army, and you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it will come about in the last days that I shall bring you against my land in order that the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified through you before their eyes, O God. And it goes on. Basically what he says is that you don't realize it, but all this stuff that you're doing you're going to try and wipe out my people, but it's actually you're working, in a sense, to my plan because you're going to be utterly destroyed in this little spit of land here. All of that is going to be victorious again because of God. But it also has to deal with this nation is going to have to have a resurgence of... Uh, of Because right now it's not a theocracy. It's, it's a secular government. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have a lot of religious folk over there. But it's not a theocracy. It's not God-driven the way it's supposed to be. And so at some point in, in uh, Revelation makes reference to this, that there seems to be like there's going to be a great revival of sorts in that area. And uh, at that point, the revival would not be of Judaism. It would be Christianity in that area. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that leads to that. But one thing I thought was interesting... Because it talks in here about, you know, and they will come from the north. And it says, and they will come from the northern, most northern part. If you draw a line from Jerusalem straight up, what do you hit? Moscow. Straight up. It's exactly. It's. Boom. 
So, does that mean Antichrist is going to come out of Russia? Not necessarily to come out of a, you know, a confederacy out of all of these groups. Is there someone, because the Antichrist scripture is real clear, is going to make treaties all over the place, right? But you're going to have this vast army coming down here. You're going to have this. And then over here, what's not as in Ezekiel, but we talked about it because we're talking about Revelation. It talks about the 200 million man army from the east. Mm-hmm. China is right over here. And China today can put together a 200 million man army. Sure. Only time in history that that's ever been able. Because when that was written, there weren't 200 million people in the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. Now there's a country's got an army that's going to come this way. So you can see what's going to happen. Everything is going to kind of but that little spit of lamb is going to be victorious because of God. And so this is what Ezekiel is saying. He said, I'm going to restore you. There's going to be, this is going to go on, this is going to happen. There's going to be a time, there's going to be peace. But there's also going to be a time when there's, they're still going to be after you. They're still going to, they're still going to do these things. And so, uh, and so basically, chapter 7 to 16 there's going to be war. There's going to be victory for Israel. But the bottom line is God is magnified. God is because the people around you will know who I am. So it's like God has been saying, you know, these things for uh, thousands of years now. We have the oldest recorded history of any people on earth right here. Oldest recorded history. Uh, God has been saying this. God is put all this together and Ezekiel is just one small fragment speaking to people that are in exile people who don't feel like they deserve or have a right to be restored now how does this translate for us in Christianity when we evangelize we come across people that don't feel like they're ever going to be good enough for God they're hopeless because they think their sin is too great. But we know that's not the case. That, you know, Jesus died for all sins, and there's no sin that God has not seen, you know, that God cannot forgive. And so, you know, for us, it's, you know, God wants to restore them where? Into his kingdom, right? And, you know, God talks about unity from, you know, the very beginning. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. In Christianity and tells us we are to be one with one another, one with him, one with each other. You know, we are the metaphor of the New Testament of uh, we are grafted in to the vine, right? And it said some branches were broken off that were of the natural vine, referring to Israel. And he says, but if I can take you, meaning us Gentiles, and graft you in to what was not naturally yours and make you part of that, he says, I can graft them back in as well. How much more can I graft them in? This is in uh, uh, Galatians. And so you can see, you know, God's plan here in his story is always, I am the Lord thy God, and if you obey me, it will work. If you don't, here is the consequence. Judgment will come. But as long as we live on this side of the second coming of Christ, 
there's still the opportunity to come back. Because once he returns, then we have final judgment and all, all of that. And so, uh, um, thoughts, questions? I know there's a lot to take in right there on those two, those two verses. But dry bones represent the uh, the failure of the nation of Israel to follow God. Yeah. Well, is it that you know uh, some of the language in that were used are always in metaphor, and then when you go to the New Testament, it's all parables. Mm-hmm. Jesus was the first one that really used parables. The first parable I think in the Bible is is Nathan when he confronts David and he tells him that story mm. you know, he uses that parable and well that surely that man should be you know and he says well you're that man yeah. <laughs> that's I think that's the first parable but Jesus is the one who who really popularizes teaching in parables but it's really taking metaphors and breaking them down and making it more pliable because a parable is just a story that helps you understand a biblical truth. The story itself might not be true, but the biblical truth is, is true. So in other words, he says, well, it's like this. Two men went out to sow, and one man did yada, yada, you know. And so it's like, oh, okay, now I get it, you know. And we, and we do that all the time, especially the kids when they don't get something. They say, well, I, I don't get it. And they say, okay, well, it's like this. As soon as you say, well, it's like this, you're doing a parable, right? And then uh, metaphors have more to do with visions and dreams and types and shadows. Because remember last week, I think it was last week or the week before, we were talking about how the Old Testament is types and shadows. Those are kind of metaphors for what? For Christ, you know? And we talked about how the Old Testament, in a sense, is, is in shadow. What's causing the shadow? The cross. Where is the light that's causing the shadow from God in the future? God is shining the light on the cross, which causes the shadow in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is actually pointing towards our future, right? As God is revealing himself. So, thoughts, questions? Again, dry bones just means we failed, we messed up. It's kind of like... In our own lives, you know, we might look at our own personal family, and I think we all got some dry bones. You know, so you know, not good. (laughs) So, um, uh, but this is again God's redemptive story. Just because those bones are dry, and then He says, "How dry are they?" And He says, "Oh man, these bones are dry." He says, "Do you think I can cause them to come to life again?" He says, "Speak to them." And you speak to it, and they come again in a vision. But, yeah. Yeah. Now, in, in these times, you know, are the Gentiles included in that in those dry bones? In dry bones? Yes, as we come back, in a sense, you could say that if you use the analogy from the garden to now, yeah. yeah. Can, can God restore us? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so... You know, God's plan was always for the entire world. He was telling his story through a group of people, you know. And the story for them is not very good because they mess up really bad in it. 
And so, uh, which screams for it to be true, because if you write a story, you're, you're not going to put the bad stuff, you just put the good stuff, right? You know, and so, but yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, God's story, it's his redemptive plan. How, we, how do we, in a sense, get back to where we were in the garden? Well, the only way is through Jesus Christ, right? But the story is in 66 books of the Bible, in different ways, in different language. And so what's so unique about the Bible is you've got different ways of telling the story through different people, through different time frames, through different actions, through different whatever. And it's, it's, uh, 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 it's all the same story. Return to God and God will receive you. It's a prodigal son. He didn't wait to spank him. He waited to receive him. So when we're preaching the gospel, God's not waiting to spank you. He's waiting to receive you based upon your acknowledgement that you've sinned in your own confession and your own repentance. And then God receives you, right? You know, and so that's that. So thoughts, questions? Okay. So next week we'll kind of finish up Ezekiel. And then... Um, it's not going to be in the conference for two weeks. Uh, we won't have Bible study for there. But then uh, they're going to be doing Bible study. I mean, they're, they're going to be doing um, VBS. Yeah, VBS in here. So what I'm going to do for the we'll be here next week. But then after that, for the rest of uh, June, we won't have Bible study. We'll come back the first week in July when VBS is done. Because that way I don't want to come back and do one week and then have to stop again. And we'll come back. And I'm thinking... Um, is there any books you want to do? Anything you want to do? I was thinking of doing Daniel. Since we're already into all this kind of language in this. Because Daniel's a contemporary of Ezekiel. And so he, he gets these visions and he gets all this stuff. And, you know, he's in the furnace and all that good stuff. And, and Dan, Daniel's really, really a cool book. Daniel's not looked upon as a prophet. We consider Daniel to be a prophet. But he's grouped in the Hebrew Bible with the writings, literature, poetry, uh, that kind of stuff. He's, he's, he's grouped together with Psalms and Proverbs like that. He's not, he's, we think Daniel's a prophet because we, we tend to group him with the prophets, but technically he's not a prophet. Although anybody that says, thus saith the Lord, is a prophet. But he's not the classical prophet like Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Isaiah. We good? That's good. Mm -hmm. I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so next week we'll finish Ezekiel and then we'll take a break for a couple of weeks and come back in the beginning of July. So, uh, Deacon Allen, could you close us in prayer? Well, Precious Heavenly Father, first I would like to just thank you for the opportunity you gave me to come back to, to, to study the Word and especially in the time, uh, the, the perfect timing of Ezekiel, uh, learning and renewing uh, the, the, uh, that book. Uh, Father, it, it's it's helped me quite a bit uh, in these past weeks, and just to know that uh, you were thinking of us, and that you gave us the Holy Spirit, Father, to each and every one of us here to understand these these messages, and through through the Spirit, of course, of course, to our Father, to our Savior, but the Spirit is in us, Father. That's how we understand these words, Father. We could not otherwise. So when you made it a complete trilogy, a complete. 
He made us complete, Father. But we still have to continue to to heed these words, heed these warnings, Father, before uh, we have to worry about uh, the future, our children, grandchildren, whoever, Father. But uh, you're giving us this time uh, as you gave us today, but for the future. And when the book is closed, the window, when the door is closed, the window, that's it, Father. So let's heed these words. Let's learn these words. Let's put them in our hearts and spread as we are com- commanded to, as we go out this, this church, to spread these beautiful words, that the knowledge that we have learned today from a pastor, and to, to just uh, hearing the questions and the answers, Father. That's uh, that's how we learn. And just thank you for the opportunity here. We ask you also for blessings over all of our members and friends and family that are that are hurting, Father. We ask you, you are the great physician and you will take care of these needs in your time. But uh, you also give us that, again, the spirit to soothe the pain that's in our hearts that when we do feel hurt or, or sorrow for, for our family and friends, Father. But Father, tonight was a beautiful opportunity for each and every one of us. Thank you for this time, Father. Bless you, Father. And these words and the words we hear tonight, we pray in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Okay. See you guys Sunday. Thank you.